the Good Fight Radio Show. Praise the Lord, you guys. It's great to be with you today. Uh, welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show live. I'm without my brother, Chad. We just uh, love to team up together, but he's been fighting the sickness, so keep him in your prayer. He's such a uh, beautiful, uh, vital, important part of our ministry, and he's just uh, been sick. You know, a lot of people have gotten sick. A few other people I know right now are dealing with some bugs. He tried everything he could to get here today. And uh, so I just encourage you to pray for him. We love him. Uh, you're in for hopefully a treat um, because there's a lot of crazy stuff going around and um, going down as well, literally going down, like the sub that just went down. And the sub was called the Titan. And a lot of people just miss the fact that there's this terrible irony regarding the Titan and the Titanic uh, because the Titan was the people on the Titan were going to go see this mass graveyard known as uh, the Titanic voyage that ended in the mass death of you know, over 1,500 people. And there's so many lessons we can learn from what happened there. And I just want to encourage you, uh, if you, you know, if you like this video, we've got so much, I believe, by the grace of God, incredible content that's life-changing content because that's what we're all about is, is delivering for Jesus, man, serving him. Uh, give us a thumbs up, uh, subscribe, because uh, uh, that's how other people get these messages. And we don't just deal with contemporary issues and what's going on. We take deep dives into what's going on. We look at them from a uh, biblical, spiritual perspective, uh, seeking to be led by the Holy Spirit and use them as clarion calls to people to turn to Christ so they can know him and they can be saved. And it's just interesting with what just happened with regarding the little sub called the Titan uh, going down as it did. And we're going to get into some really strange and crazy ironies regarding what happened there. But mostly I want to talk about the Titanic. We've actually been working on a video. Or we've worked on it years ago. And uh, we've got all this archival footage. We've never really finished it yet. We're waiting for the appropriate time to do it. And we decided that now is probably the time uh, because this is back in the limelight again, this whole thing with the Titanic. And we actually went all over the place, went into the UK, uh, Scotland, England, Ireland, investigating the what happened with the Titanic and so forth. Uh, interviewed people, um, just it, you know, really incredible interviews. And we're looking forward to putting that out because, but right now, uh, before we do that, and we don't know that how, when that'll be out exactly, so I'm not gonna give you a time frame, but I'm gonna say this, we're gonna look at some, uh, the real reason the Titanic went down. A lot of people miss the most important lesson as to what we can learn from so we don't make the same mistake. Uh, and not only that, we wanna look at uh, several lessons. I did a message uh, recently that had to do with uh, the, you know, the real reason this Titanic went down and there's a huge lesson there, and I didn't want to re, you know, cover all of that message, but I want to give other lessons as to why, well, lessons you can learn from the Titanic. You might call these Titanic lessons, huge lessons that you need to learn, that we need to apply to our own lives, because they're, it's so rich in spiritual lessons in regard to what happened to the Titanic. And I just want to encourage you, and I'll be getting to some of the stuff I taught you know, recently as well, uh, because there's some, some of the, the heaviest messages are there, so I don't want to just not you know, speak to those issues but I want to speak to a lot of things I didn't speak about uh, because, you know what, there is a man by the name of John Jacob Astor, and he was one of the richest guys of the Titanic. And one thing to keep in mind when you look at this, when the Titanic went down, think of a big jumbo jet went down you found out that, you know, Zuckerberg was on there with Elon Musk and uh, Donald Trump and Bill Gates. These would be like the biggest and a lot of the richest and most famous people in the world. That would be big news. Well, that's what it was like when the Titanic went down. You had a lot of the rich and famous that went down with it. So it's huge lesson, lessons. But uh, John Jacob Astor, he had a fortune. He was worth like, I think he had like $87 million, you know. Uh, it was worth a lot of money. He only had 
2,500 bucks on the ship. But when all went down and everything is said and done in regard to his life, he found out that money could not buy him off the ship. Money could not buy him salvation. There's a huge lesson there because a lot of people are putting their trust in money. They're putting their trust in technology. They're putting their trust in AI. They're putting their trust in, uh, you know, all kinds of ways to kind of beat death and cheat death and maybe, you know, freeze their bodies in a myriad of ways. But in the end, man, the Bible says the point of man wants to die, but after this judgment, everyone's going to face judgment. And it's crazy when you think about it because with, he was found with $2,500 on, on him. But you know what he went for at the end of his life? He was looking for some food. He got a hold of some fruit just to live a little bit longer. That became far more valuable to him than his money. And the scriptures warn us as Christians not to put our trust in money. And, and many professing Christians are doing that. In fact, there's a whole teaching out there called the Word Faith Movement or the Prosperity Gospel. Name it and claim it crowd who our hearts break for them because they've been led radically astray where they're putting their trust in money, many of them. And the Bible warns that in a First Timothy six, there would be false teachers who who basically use you know teach that godliness is a means of financial gain, and they make that about what the faith is about. And in Second Peter chapter two and three, it warns about these men as false teachers who malign who bring the tr- truth into disrepute. It says because of them the truth is maligned because they make up stories. It says and and they uh, they it, they use greed. It says in the scripture in Second Timothy chapter two there, and it's through their greed that they exploit you and so forth. So we have to make sure as Christians, and a lot of people in our audience are like, yeah, I'm not going to fall for that. It's about Jesus. But we can, we have to watch out because we can subtly start getting our focus on money and the things of this world instead of the eternal. And the Bible says to keep our focus on the things of the Lord and to set our affections on things above. Jesus said in Mark 8, 36, he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? And Jesus said in Matthew 19, uh, that a little bit right after that, he says, uh, it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of God. And in 1 Timothy 6, the Bible says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it goes on to say in that passage that by longing for it, um, many have wandered away from the faith. So let's make sure we guard our hearts and we realize that money can't save us in the end. Only Jesus can save us. Uh, materialism can't save us. And it's kind of interesting because Jesus talked about the deceitfulness of riches that can choke the word out of our hearts in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. And some of these passages, because for these guys, these folks that were dying on the Titanic, they realized, man, money wasn't going to save them. And we're, 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 I believe, in the last days. And that was the last day for them personally. But the scriptures warn about saving up money and gold for the last days as though that's going to save us. And I hope these lessons resonate with you because a lot of Christians think, man, if I could save up enough, man, I'll get through things and, and so forth. And I'm not saying not to be prepared and not to be wise. I'm just saying don't put your hope in money. In fact, in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 18, we read this. Neither, neither the silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. It's not what will deliver us. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, for he will make complete and indeed a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth. And in James 5.3, we read uh, specific, a specific warning that in the last days, uh, the, the wicked who treasure up their gold, their gold will eat them, so to speak. It will consume them. Uh, another huge lesson from the Titanic was the selfish, selfishness of certain people. Uh, praise God. And we're going to get to some other stories where there were valiant, uh, just beautiful um, model citizens that, that actually were very Christ-like in, in what they did as far as saving people, very heroic. 
but there are also those who are putting themselves first. And one of them was the managing director of White Star that, you know, basically brought forth the Titanic and, uh, or the director of uh, the White Star. He became a public disgrace because he shoved his way onto a lifeboat. And it was incredible because it was designated, that lifeboat was designated for women and children. And so his life was a disgrace after that. He, he, the rest of his life, he lived in infamy. And Jesus said, those who make themselves first will be last. And those who are last will be first. And the Bible says, Jesus says, if you save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose it, you'll save it. Let's make sure we don't live selfish lives. Also, another lesson is what happened to Titanic. It shows you how life is a vapor. You're not promised tomorrow. I mean, it was just 100 hours and it's maiden voyage that the Titanic went out. And then it went down for the count to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, never uh, to rise again. And it's interesting because the captain of that ship, uh, the captain, Captain E.J. Smith, uh, he was claiming that he was thinking of retiring. He was going to retire uh, before he was invited to be the captain of the maiden voyage of the Titanic. And tragically and, you know, sadly, uh, he took this cruise and he didn't get a retirement, man. He, he died uh, pretty quickly. And, and maybe you might be thinking, man, you know, I've got this bucket list I want to fulfill before I die and so forth. And you don't realize the Bible says you're like a, your life's like a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's like, it's like a weaver's shuttle that says it's quick. It's like the, the, the span of a hand, the Bible says. Another verse says it's like it says nothing. Uh, James says uh, that it's, it's like a vapor, you know, appears for a moment, then it's gone in James chapter 4 of his, of his letter. It's incredible. You see all these warnings about our lives being like mere vapors. Verse 14, James says, why do you not, uh, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? These are people who say, I'm going to move over here. I'm going to do all this. He goes, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. He says, what's your life? It's a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. Listen to Psalm. I love this. Psalm 39 verses 4 and following. This is such a powerful psalm because it wakes me up. It, it says, Joe, it says to you, it says to us, it says, hey, this is the way you ought to observe time because we're in the temporal and eternity is forever. I want to make sure we're right with God, that we're living for God. Uh, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 39, show me, O Lord, my life's end. Show me my life's end. Help me have a perspective and, and number the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere hand's breadth. And the span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, and but only in vain, and he heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, uh, what, what am I look for? My hope is in you. So I think that's another huge lesson, that we put our hope in Christ, not in riches, and we recognize that our lives are mere vapors. We're, compared to eternity, man, I mean, if I had a rope, right? And it was a billion miles long one way and a billion miles long the other way. And there was just one line right here in front of me. That one line would represent the lifespan. That'd be the span of your life. Even smaller than that line because that those other ends don't even represent eternity. It would be infinitesimal how small that line would be. You couldn't even see it without a microscope. It's how short your life is here. So it's important that we make it, things right with God. Amen. I think it's important too that we also recognize uh, that when you die, you can either experience intense pain, or well, physically or not, you may experience intense pain. But spiritually, if you don't know the Lord, you'll experience intense pain. It's called the sting of death. And Jesus, you know, he, the, the scriptures say, because we have faith in Christ, if we have faith in Christ, 
we can we can say the Lord is my shepherd and he's with us in the valley of the shadow of death. We can face death with peace and with joy because the scriptures say, and oh death, where is your sting? Oh Hades, where is your victory? Because Jesus took the sting of death for us on the cross. And when your faith is in Christ, you can live a fearless life because Romans chapter eight says, neither height nor depth nor principality or power, any other created thing, uh, even death itself, it says, cannot separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If you are in Jesus, if you are abiding in Christ, you, you know Jesus and you're trusting in him, death cannot separate you from him because he's removed the sting of death. I remember a story of a dad who was taking his family on, a, on a, a camping trip and so forth, and they were in the in the car, and there was a bee buzzing around his little girl's head. And he, they tried to open the windows, tried to get the bee to go away, but he couldn't you know, do a whole lot about it. And she was freaking out. She's crying in hysterics, man, because she's so afraid this bee was going to sting her. And her dad reached back and bam, snatched the bee, grabbed it, and held it in his hand. And it stung him, you know. And he opened up his hand. It was painful, man. And the bee began, uh, you know, flying a little bit longer. It was flying around her head again. And she's crying still. And he opened up his hand. He said, hey, honey, look at my hand. Look at my hand. Look at my hand. What do you see in there? That's the bee stinger. It can buzz around your head, but it can't sting you. And that's the truth for you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. Each and every one of you is putting your trust in Jesus. Uh, the sting of death, you'll die still, but you will not be separated from God with from God forever. You see, the scriptures teach us that if you're born twice, you only die once. And if you just, you know, if you're born only once, you die twice. And the point is, is if you're only born once, like, you know, you're, you're born physically, but you refuse to take Jesus' warning. You refuse to take his invitation where Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. So if you refuse to be born again, you refuse to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, say, hey, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to work my way to heaven or something like that. You're not going to get there, man. You'll be separated from God forever. And the Bible talks about a second death. It's called the lake of fire. And the Bible says in uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses four through six. It talks about the second death and it talks about a resurrection of the righteous and then there'll be a resurrection of the wicked. It talks about the resurrection of the wicked and how they will go to the second death, the lake of fire. But it talks about the resurrection of the righteous whose names are written in the book of life, who've been saved, who have received Jesus Christ, who have been born again, who've accepted Christ in their lives and received forgiveness of sins. These folks will only experience the physical death, but they will not experience the second death, spiritual death, in the lake of fire, being eternally separated from God. Uh, however, guess what? That's because they're born twice. They've been born physically, but they've been born again. Therefore, they only die once. But if you're only born once, you die twice. So I encourage you, make sure that you're born again so you can lose, so you can so you can accept the sting of death that Jesus, let Jesus or allow him and say, yes, I, I understand that you died for me, but now I put my faith in you so that your death is credited to my account so I will not have to experience the second death because Jesus experienced the second death, not just physical death, but the Bible tells us when Jesus died on the cross that we're saved through his physical death because it was he, he shed his blood for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. But the Bible also says as part of that death, that physical, he also, there was an aspect which he experienced a hellish kind of death, what the wicked experience if they don't turn to Christ. And the hellish death he experienced, I mean, you look at how hell is described. It's described as separation from God, you know, uh, being separated from him forever. And the scriptures tell us on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, uh, in his humanity, he sensed a, a form of separation in the context of him experiencing the very wrath of God upon himself. 
you see. And there's some mysterious way where, where God, where Christ was always, because he's God, was united in his, in his divinity to the Father. But there's also a sense in which he experienced a sense of alienation when he experienced the wrath of God. The scriptures also speak of, of Hades, for instance, where the rich man went to Hades and was in torment in the flames below the earth. And, and, he, and he cried out to Abraham to send Lazarus over and have him dip his finger in water first and stick it on his tongue because of the torment he was in, because he was dying of thirst. Well, the scriptures tell us uh, that the wicked, their thirst will never be quenched. And, and guess what happened with Jesus, man? On the cross, he said, I thirst. He experienced that, that dreadful thirst. And it's also interesting as well that Jesus described hell as outer darkness, uh, a, a place of outer darkness of torment. And for three hours, the earth became dark. And on that area of the earth became just dark. And it was like black. It was dark. And that's a picture of hell. And Jesus experienced that on the cross. He experienced uh, darkness, a, a sense of separation, a thirst. Uh, and you might ask, well, how could he experience our torment in just a, a time and not for eternity? Because he is the infinite God who's become a man. And since he's infinite, becoming a man, when he suffers, he suffers in an infinite way. He suffered for each and every one of us. See, nobody can redeem their brother, the Bible says. You can't die for me. I can't die for you. Uh, we have sin. We can't die for each other. Uh, and if we are perfect, you know, uh, you, you, if you are a perfect man or perfect woman, perhaps you could die for one person. Uh, but guess what? You couldn't die for everybody because your life is only has a value one person. God became a man. He his his suffering because of his value as a being is infinite, and he gave his life for everyone. So you could be saved. I encourage you. I encourage in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, also there is what I call the prophetic witness. The prophetic witness. Uh, God's given us his word, which is history written in advance, so we don't have to go through, uh, you know, we don't have to, we can see the, the landmines, spiritually speaking. We can see, uh, we can traverse uh, and navigate what's before us prophetically because we can obey the Lord and stay on the straight and narrow road that leads to life. So the broad road that Jesus said leads to destruction. But isn't it interesting? There was something, you know, I would call it a prophecy, but there was a book written about, well, it was written about another ship, which had a, you know, the name of the book was Futility. It was a novel written a couple decades before the Titanic went down. And it's very interesting because this book was basically like what this book said about this other ship, which had a name very similar to Titan, is actually what happened in many ways to the Titanic. It was like the future was written in advance in some, in some strange way. And I think it's remarkable because uh, Robertson's ship, like the Titanic, held a capacity of 3,000 people. Uh, the ship in futility uh, sailed with a little over 2,000 people, just like the Titanic. Both the ship Futility, and this is a reality, this actually happened, this is a novel, uh, and written before the Titanic went down, and the, the ship Futility and the Titanic were both the largest ships in the world, right? Both ships were between 800 and 900 feet long, both ships were driven by triple screw propellers, both ships were British ships, both ships were considered unsinkable, both ships' top speed exceeded just 22 knots, both ships sunk in April, uh, both ships sank in the northern Atlantic, uh, both... Uh, and here are the clinchers. Both ships are, were moving near full speed when they struck icebergs. Just really, really, really uh, crazy stuff. In the futility, book Futility, the lookout, shoots, uh, the lookout shouts a warning, ice, ice ahead, iceberg, right under the bows. On the Titanic, uh, the lookout sh uh, uh, shouts from the bridge, uh, too late though, iceberg, right ahead. And Well, that's after they actually received a bunch of warnings. There's a lot of other parallels 
I'll bring out in our uh, video, hopefully, when we get our uh, documentary done on lessons from the Titanic and uh, the real reasons the Titanic sunk. But it's quite interesting when you think of this. Uh, now, it's interesting as well because uh, when you look at these warnings, and I have to skip a lot. I have so much. I have like 150 pages. Uh, thankfully, I didn't download it all right uh, to share with you. Uh, but there's so many things that we need to be aware of uh, and so many warnings that we need to be aware of. And I think the greatest warning that we need to heed and the main reason the Titanic shrank, uh, sunk uh, and just turned into like a submarine and, and just went to the bottom of the ocean was because of pride. And I think it's interesting because the, it's really crazy when you think of these parallels. They're kind of eerie when you think of why the Titanic or, or the etymology of, you know, what the Titanic was named after. This is really, really crazy when you think about it, is when this submarine just went down called Titan, named after the Titanic. When the Titan went down, a lot of people, you know, millions of people are shaking their head. They're saying, man, these rich folks, you know, paying, what, a quarter million dollars to, to, to be in this sub, uh, and, and actually they're basically paying to die, not even realizing they're going to die. Uh, there were a lot of warnings, which is really, really interesting. A lot of warnings. In fact, one gentleman was going to be on that on that uh, voyage, and he said there were too many red flags. He backed off. So, I mean, it, it wasn't as though they weren't warned because the first few pages mentions the word death over and over again that you had to sign to get on the Titan, to get on the sub. And they went on anyway. And it was a known fact, and many have come forward saying, yeah, it was a known fact. People were warning that this thing was rinky-dink compared to the standards uh, of not sinking uh, the window, they felt the the, the the graphite that it was made out of uh, being compressed with just a pinhole would be enough to just <clears throat> destroy it. Now we see what happened. Uh, now just recently, the aftermath of this thing, we, we see what happened uh, and the implosion and so forth. It's really, really heartbreaking. And these gentlemen, and, and I feel really bad for a 19-year-old boy, his dad basically, you know, supposedly berated him to go on with him. And it's really, really heartbreaking when you think about it, you know, and everything that went down there. But the irony is really thick because... These folks are not heeding warnings. They're like, yeah, we can, we can go out of this thing. It will be fine, you know? And then they go on it anyway. But they're going to look at a graveyard of the Titanic where over 1,500 people died and perished. And the captain of that ship also he failed to heed warnings. And the reason he failed to heed warnings is because, well, it comes down to pride. And we're in, you know, what, Pride Month? This, this whole last June? So-called Pride Month? Uh and uh, pride is a killer, man. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 18, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Talk about a fall, whether it was the, the Titan, the sub, or the Titanic. And pride was the key. And, and I don't think we're hearing much about pride and the real reason the Titanic went down uh, in, in the news these days. And, and I think this is a time for Christians to use this as an object lesson when we're witnessing to people and sharing with them, hey, do you realize why the Titanic went down, what's the real reason? And I think it's pretty interesting, too, when you think of this. The Titanic and the sub called Titan both went down uh, with unheeded warnings. And it's interesting, the Titanic and the Titan were named ultimately after the Titans. These were Greek mythological beings, uh, gods at one time. And according to Prometheus Bound, the ancient Greek text, uh, Prometheus states that, that Zeus cast the Titans down to the netherworld, to the lowest hell, be below Hades, because of their pride. Because of their pride. Isn't that interesting? Uh, that the Titans were supposedly judged because of their, their pride. And, 
And while the Titans never really existed, a lot of things that you see in mythology actually are basically stories made on some biblical truths, like the fallen angels or the Nephilim or so forth, uh, and different things we read in Scripture. And then you'll see, like, we have the, the true biblical flood story in Scripture, but then you have all these other flood stories because it's in the human memory and consciousness of, of ancient humanity. But it's interesting because Satan fell because of pride. He said, I'll exalt myself above the Most High God. I'll exalt myself above the sides of the north, right? Pride, P-R-I-D-E, the middle letter being I, right? It's about I, me, myself, and I. Middle letter of sin is I. And those are reminders to us uh, that we don't want to live self-centered lives, man. We are not God. And if we don't serve God, the creator of all things, and we don't, our lives don't revolve around him, uh, then we're, we're doomed. We're like cancer cells because a cancer cell is a rogue cell in your body, right? And then they multiply. And that's what Satan in the demonic world has done. Make sure you're not part of that spiritual cancer and that you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you put your faith in him, that you know him and that you're saved. So what was it that possessed uh, Captain E.J. Smith to go 20.5 knots per hour through at midnight through a, through a minefield of icebergs? And think about that. What in the world would have possessed him to do that? According to uh, a man by the name of uh, Lawrence, well, well, there was a book written, okay, uh, by Lawrence Beasley, and Lawrence Beasley wrote a book because he was a survivor, a Titanic survivor, and he wrote a book called The Loss of the U.S., or I'm sorry, The Loss of the S.S. Titanic. In that book, he talks about uh, having been on that ship and, and, and surviving how the captain uh, had been heard to say that even God cannot sink this ship. Woo, man. If he made such a declaration, according to Beasley, he did. Uh, that was proud. That was pri- proud. That was arrogant. Uh, others had supposedly made the same statement. That was a saying that was supposedly uh, going around. And what's crazy about this is when you look at the look at what happened there, uh, it makes a lot of sense because why else would you speed at midnight through a minefield of icebergs? Um, evidently, they felt, hey, if we hit an iceberg, we'll be okay because. This is the baddest, toughest, most radical ship ever. and Even God couldn't sink this ship. And that's exactly what they did. And it wasn't as though it was an accident. It was at the last second they saw an iceberg. They received six different warnings. They received six different warnings about icebergs ahead. In fact, it's interesting. The Californian gave almost every one of these warnings. Uh, and they were told over and over again. They, they called the crew members and, uh, and, and told them from the Californian, they said, hey, you know what? There's, there's icebergs ahead. There's dangerous waters ahead. You know, you guys need to change course. And every time they gave that message, uh, those messages were brought, uh, brought to Captain E.J. Smith. And Captain E.J. Smith rebuffed them. Not a big deal. You know, they'd go back and they would not heed the warning. Then another warning would come from the Californian. Hey, there's icebergs ahead. Hey, there's dangerous waters ahead. Change course. They'd go back to him and say, hey, we're getting closer. This, What are we doing, you know? And uh, what do you want us to do? And he sent them back. No big deal. Finally, um, you know, finally one last, another ship that was actually sitting amidst the icebergs, just sitting there realizing what they're in, radioed to the Titanic. And they told, uh, actually the sixth warning didn't really get to the captain because uh, the radio operator said, shut up, shut up, shut up. Because he said, we're sitting iceberg. You're headed right toward us. Shut up, shut up, shut up. We're busy and hung up on him. The rest is history. So it's really crazy when you think about this because there were all these warnings, but because they felt like the ship was 
so radical. So, you know, they're on their maiden voyage. They're not going to go down. Uh, they didn't heed the warnings. And they went down. And the real reason the Titanic went down ultimately was because of pride. You'll say, why? well, if you ask somebody, why did the Titanic go down? You'll say, they'll say, oh, it hit icebergs. That's not the real reason the Titanic went down. The real reason the Titanic went down was because of unheeded warnings as a result of pride. And I think it's interesting when you consider that uh, because uh, the gentleman in the ship above said, right be the last warning, said, I say, old man, we are surrounded by ice. And that's when they got shut up, shut up, shut up, we're busy. But it's really interesting because the heroic ship uh, that was basically the Carpathia uh, and the captain of that ship uh, proved to be heroic to where people were actually really, really blown away because the captain of that ship, uh, they rescued all kinds of people from the Titanic. But uh, when he was asked about what happened and how they survived, you know, all the, all the icebergs and so forth, uh, he said he felt that. He felt, you know, he sensed God. He said, a hidden hand, I feel, directed me uh, through it. And he was seen praying and, and seeking the Lord and, and so forth. So we want to be humble and we want to seek God because we can't save ourselves. Again, Jesus said, if you save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose it, you'll save it. We have to watch out for pride. James 4, 6 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. So God's opposed to the proud. If you're, if you're a proud and arrogant person, it's all about yourself, and you want nothing to do with God, you can say, hey, I can be my own God. You know, your time's almost up, man. Your time's almost up. And the Bible says you're opposed to God. So if you love the world system, and you love the world more than God, and you put the world first, James also says in chapter 4 of James, James 4.4 4, and following, says, you adulteresses, you, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I want to make sure we understand, man, that we're feeble, man. We're, we're made of flesh. Our bodies go back to the dust, man. And our spirits leave our bodies to go either heaven or hell. You want to make sure you're right with God and that you're forgiven. Now, I think it's interesting that this all went down this June, Pride Month, you know, uh, that's when this whole thing went down. And the real reason behind with the, the recent Titan, right, uh, that the sub went down, and now everybody's remembering what happened to the Titanic. But they're missing the lesson. It's staring us in the face. It's what's, what's the odds that this would happen during June, during so-called Pride Month, when people are putting their, their, their focus on themselves and their own will and, you know, uh, and, and taking the rainbow, which typically has seven colors, right, but stripping it one color, giving it six colors, the, the number of man, by the way, 666, the number of the Antichrist, emphasizing the number of man. We're feeble, man. We're just men. And then celebrating sexual debauchery where everything's inverted, everything's backwards, everything's upside down. We read in Romans chapter 1 that the Creator is to be worshipped. He alone is to be worshipped and that He's given evidence of His creation through all the things that He's made. But people worshipped and served the creature instead of the Creator. Instead of turning from cre Our bodies are made for Creator worship, but they've turned to creature worship. Men with men, Paul goes on to say, and women with women. Uh, sexual perversion, which doesn't bring forth children, doesn't bring forth life, brings forth death, brings forth diseases, all kinds of things like AIDS and or HIV, which produces AIDS and all sorts of other diseases. Even heterosexual perversion, home, uh, adultery and, and, and fornication could all lead to your destruction. And they will if they're unrepented of. And pride is just celebrating this so-called sexual freedom where we can jettison the, the morals that God has given us. And not we fail to recognize that God created sex 
God's the one who designed it. He he designed sex to be in the confines of a marriage. But uh, just like fire is really beautiful, uh, I use this illustration. I've used this with my children. I've used this with the fellowship where I pastor a number of times. Fire is warm and beautiful, even romantic when it's in the confines of a fireplace, when it has boundaries. But if it's climbing up your walls and your sofa and your bed, it'll destroy your family, you know? And the same thing with sex. The Bible says that God made sex for the marriage bed, Hebrews chapter 13 in the New Testament, that uh, the, the marriage bed is undefiled, but adulterers and fornicators God will judge. And I think it's really interesting when you look at that pride, that, 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 that word pride, and you look at what's happening with Pride Month. You look at what the Bible says in Romans 1 when it warns very specifically against homosexuality and what's now being celebrated. And it says that they know within them is a sentence of death, yet they give hearty approval. They only do these things. The Bible warns about these homosexual acts. They give approval of those who do. They parade it. Well, now homosexuality and transgenderism and all this stuff is out of the closet, uh, and now it's being paraded on the streets. We just had this, uh, we just, and, and since, you know, for those of you who are listening live, uh, we just uh, did a video that you'll see tomorrow on 511 News where we look at the whole transgender thing that's going down over in, uh, you know, the trans, I should say the transsexual march that just took place in, in uh, New York City where they were chanting during this, this march that we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. We're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. And the news media says, oh, well, they're just words. They didn't mean it that way. They're just playing in the stereotype. You watch uh, tomorrow. Uh, if you're watching live, that'll be tomorrow. You'll see the 511 program where we show, no, we show the roots of actually who's, who's actually organizing this parade. You're going to see it's tied to Satanist Lester Crowley and Harry Hay, who co-founded, I'm giving you a little bit of the lead away, so I don't give too much of it away, but you'll see what's really behind that. And when they, when these guys start this this this. I should say march, the guys that are organizing the march, you look at the roots of those who organized the march, the radical fairies, and you'll see that it's always been about our children. Man, you need to stand steadfast because guess what? There are people that are full of, full of pride, even as Sodom and Gomorrah were filled with pride. In fact, Ezekiel 16, and in the book of Ezekiel, uh, it talks about the first sin that's mentioned of Sodom is pride. It's first sin on the list. First sin on the list. And these men arrogantly, older and younger men, they're going after the youth. They went after you know, Lot's friends, which were angels in the form of men, so they just understood them as men, and they were demanding that Lot release them or let them, let them, or you know, put them out of the house so they could rape them and have sex with them. And it's interesting in Romans one when it talks about men with men and females with females and how this is unnatural. I mean, just use common sense, folks. It's unnatural for two men to be together. It's unnatural for two women to be together. Physiologically, biologically, a man and a woman are meant to come together and be fruitful and bring forth life. But it's interesting in Romans 1 where it talks about men with men and women with women. You know what else it also talks about? It talks about how in verse 30 of chapter 1, it says that it talks about how they'll be filled in verse 29 and then verse 30, be filled with pride. Isn't that interesting? And it says they'll be without love, and the Greek is without family love, but they'll be filled with pride. And pride is the opposite of love. I'm not talking about pride in the sense of being happy for someone or glad your kid hit the ball or something like that. I'm talking about pride in self and exalting self above God. And it's interesting, when Romans talks about that, that lack of family love and the destruction of the family, we read about that also in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Some of you are familiar with that because we've taught on this before as well, where Paul says in the last days, perilous times will come. Here we are, folks. Terrible time will come. times will come. Men we love of self, covetous boasters, proud. There it is again. 
blasphemers. You know, he also says, he says this, without family love or without love, the Greek words astorge, just like in Romans 1. That word appears only twice in Romans 1 and in 2 Timothy 3. And the King James translates it without natural affection. And that's what homosexuality is. It's not natural affection. If you're right now listening to this, you're like, you know what, Joe, I know what, you're right. I know you're right. It makes sense biblically. It makes sense with the human anatomy. It makes sense with the production of children versus a disease versus children. It all makes sense. But I, I've got these feelings. I've got these these feelings that are that are that are just ungodly for the opposite or for the same sex or what have you. Uh, because you have feelings doesn't make them right. Heterosexual men can have feelings for a woman that doesn't isn't their wife. Those feelings, just because their feelings are there, doesn't mean that they're right, and doesn't mean they should be celebrated. Because we have we're fallen, man. We've fallen. We've been shattered. We've been broken. And we no longer retain all of the image of God that we once had. Yes, we're made in His image. And James chapter uh, uh, James chapter uh, three affirms that we're still made in the image of God, but that image has been depraved, and we need to be tra- we need to be forgiven. We need to be transformed. So if you come to Christ, you wouldn't see it right now, maybe because of the boat that you're in, so to speak. Right? You're in the Titanic, and you have affections that are unnatural. But God will give you a new heart. It says that you'll be born again. If anyone being Christ is a new creation, the old, old things have passed away and all things have become new. And Paul, when he talks about the homosexuals, the adulterers, the, the uh, fornicators, the thieves, the drunkards, the effeminate men that want to be women, right? The Bible speaks to all these things. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, he says, don't be deceived. Those who live those kind of lifestyles will not inherit God's kingdom. Don't be deceived. You won't inherit God's kingdom if you if you live like that. Uh, so it's imperative that you understand that if you repent, that the passage goes on to say in verse 11, such were some of you, but you've been washed or cleansed, right? Uh, you've been justified. Uh, you have, through calling out in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, it says. So God forgives us through what Christ did on the cross in dying for our sins. Uh, and he transforms us by his Holy Spirit to make us new, new persons, new creations. I wasn't born into a Christian home where everybody knew Jesus. Nobody knew Jesus I, I I was lost like everybody else. I was filled with sin, sex, drugs, and rock and roll before I came to Christ, man. But you know what? When I was just about turning 18, right around that time, God revealed to me that I'd opened myself up to the powers of darkness. And I embraced Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I cried out to him, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. After I realized who he was because I was in the midst of an occult experience, I realized the devil was real. And I just prayed a feeble prayer like, God, only, you know, I didn't even say God. I said, only in goodness. But that's who I was crying out to. He stopped my experience. That happened like two different times. And I realized, wow, just like there's a devil for sure. I know it now. And I used to mock that idea. I opened myself up to those dark forces. I realized they're real. So I realized God was real because both times I cried out to him. And back to back, like a week apart or so, he answered that both times. And when I embraced Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my life has changed for 35 years or so since then. I mean, it's been, my whole life has been, uh, man, I got to do the math. I don't think about it as much because I'm just rejoicing my salvation. But I got saved in 81. So I've been saved for, for quite a while, guys, uh, over 40 years, I guess, now when you think about it. And I haven't regretted one day of it. I regret pretty much all the days when I was in rebellion to God. There were incidences where I had uh, times that weren't evil. So I wouldn't say I regret every single aspect of, of those days, but I regret, regret, regret the old person that I was. I was very anti-God, didn't know God, was adrift on my own Titanic, man. And you're on one of two ships, man. You're either on the Titanic or you're on the ark. You see, the Titanic represents the broad road that Jesus says uh, leads to destruction. He says many people go that way, and it leads to destruction. But the Titanic represents the narrow gate. 
There's only, there's many doors in the Titanic, but there was only one door on the ark because the ark's a picture of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I am the door, John 10, 1, John 10, 9. He's the only way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And just as the Titanic went down and was destroyed, the ark was saved. In fact, the ark was, was the ark represented salvation uh, for anybody that was on it from the wrath of God. We all deserve God's wrath. The Bible says that we're children of wrath before we come to Christ. We deserve his wrath. But the ark itself is a picture of salvation because the ark was made in such a way where it was able to withstand the flood. And what's interesting about the ark, it was shaped, if you look at the dimensions, it was shaped like a huge casket. And I don't have time to get into it, but it was basically like a huge casket. And guess what? When you went in there, you were identifying with Christ's death because it was made out of wood. Jesus died on the cross. The one door, he is the only way. Okay, you come on the ark, and the wrath of God is, is, is the water, man, that was flooding the earth because of their wickedness. It says they were only thinking evil thoughts continually. Uh, same thing. Jesus says it might be just like the days of Lot. He said it would be like the days of Lot with homosexuality in the last days of Luke chapter 17. He said it would also be like the days of Noah. Days of Noah, everything, it says there was a population explosion. Genesis 6, the first few verses, says their thoughts were only evil continually. It says the world was filled with violence. Does it sound familiar? It says there was sexual perversion on the planet. The sons of God were having sex with the daughters of men and so forth. But God, but righteous Noah, he was a preacher of righteousness. And his family listened to him. And very few people were saved. That's why Jesus said, enter the narrow gate. For as straight as the way it leads to life, and few are those who find it, man. God's allowing you to hear the truth right now. These words that I'm sharing with you, if you reject these words, uh, if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, man, you do it to your own eternal demise. In fact, my sharing the gospel with you, pleading with you to come to know Jesus, these words will haunt you in hell forever and ever and ever because they'll be replayed back to you. You're constantly thinking, why did I hear that? Why did I know what he was saying but refuse to repent? Don't refuse to repent, man. Turn to Jesus right now. And it's interesting, the ark shaped like this huge casket. Peter says it's a picture of Christ and his resurrection in 1 Peter chapter 3 because it says the ark went through the water. Can you imagine that huge storm? Probably went through the water a number of times, but it was like a casket buried under the water, coming back up, and the water was a picture of God's wrath. Guess what? Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again and conquered the grave. So if you are in Christ, he's the ark who died for you, was buried, and your life is in him, and he rose to life, and now your resurrection life is because of his life. Because you share in his death, you shall also share in his resurrection if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So pride is a killer, guys. And it's just absolutely important that we make sure we understand that I don't think it's a coincidence. I think God's, because of God's providence, his sovereignty, that everything that we're seeing right now is actually tied to reality, to reality that, uh, you know, he loves us and doesn't want us to perish. You see, the Bible says the point of man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. We only have one opportunity, man. It's not reincarnation. You come back over and over again until you get it right. You see anybody getting it right? We're all, the Bible said all of sin and come short of God's glory. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, you know? Uh, another lesson I think that's important is, uh, is gratitude. You know how much gratitude people had that they were actually saved off the ark by, by the lifeboats, by the people in the lifeboats that risked their lives and, and tried to save them? Many women and children and, and some men were saved as well. They had gratitude. And do you have gratitude? If you're a Christian, do you show gratitude because the Lord Jesus Christ saved you? Do you daily say, thank you, Lord, for your goodness to me? Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for sending your son. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. We need to show gratitude and thanksgiving. because. But if you're going back to sin and living a life of sin and rebellion to God, that's not gratitude, man. 
That's selfishness. And I've got a number of people I could cite here, which I'm not going to take the time to do, that, that uh, where there was gratitude. They were just so thankful that they were able to be saved. But I want to give you a little illustration uh, to see if you're really showing gratitude after you've been saved because uh, you've been saved not by a mere lifeboat, but by the ark himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we need to show him gratitude every day. But think if, think if there was a woman and, and uh, an assailant, you know, a wicked rapist is breaking in her home and he's riddled with, with, with AIDS, right? And he's going to infect her and rape her and so forth. And what happens, I know it's a pretty radical illustration, but it's powerful when you think this through. I hope it really makes you hate sin more. And then uh, her husband, he risked his life to stop this man from raping her before the man could actually get a hold of her. And he's struggling with him, and the man stabs him to death, right? And then, you know, he bloodies up the man pretty good and trying to protect his wife, and the man takes off, you know? And all of a sudden, she, her husband just dies there in her arms, Right? Now what, now, what would you think if the man that this woman was saved from, this rapist, what would you think of the woman and, and her, her husband being so heroic and dying to save her life, right? What would you think if you found out that later on, a few weeks later, that this woman tried to make con- found out who this man was, make contact with him, and wanted to sleep with him, and wanted to marry him? What would you think of that woman? Pretty disgusting, right? Because she's wanted to sleep with the very one that her husband had saved her from and died in saving her, right? Well, that's what it's like when we go back to a life of sin, man, because Jesus died to save us from sin. If we go back to sin and live a life of sin, we're actually mocking Jesus. We're actually showing no gratitude. We're going back to a life that Jesus died to save us from. Lesson there, man, is to hate sin and show gratitude. Show thankfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ for saving you and remain forever uh, the bride of Christ. A uh, couple more lessons I want to share with you that I think are really, really profound. I want to encourage you to be like Lifeboat 14. Be like Lifeboat 14. You see, there were lifeboats uh, that, you know, huh, uh, people that were saved on these lifeboats, but many of these lifeboats, these lifeboats, for the most part, none of them really went back to save more people. Uh, and one of the fears were that that if you go back, people that are in the water that are trying to you know, on a board or what have you, they can sink the lifeboat, and it was risky. The waters were risky. Uh, people trying to get in the lifeboat, would, you could risk your own life. So, for instance, in lifeboat six, 26 people were saved in all, mostly women, but also a few men. And it's interesting because the quartermaster, Robert Hitch, Hitchens, he refused to go back. People were saying, should we go back? And he said, no, we're not going back to the boat. It's our lives now, not theirs. So some selfishly just like, Lifeboat 6, there's that number again, kind of interesting. Lifeboat 6 uh, refused to go back and save more people. But it's interesting, Lifeboat 14, wow, I love Lifeboat 14 of the people on it because uh, they went back, and Lifeboat 14 reportedly went back and rescued uh, what became more survivors. And uh, it's interesting because uh, the, 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 the guy that was kind of you know commandeering that lifeboat, a man by the name of Lowe, he said, okay, let's wait until until there's an opportune time, but let's go back and let's wait. And he maneuvered his way and was able to save more people. I want to be like Lifeboat 14. Uh, Lifeboat 14, we're called as Christians not to live for ourselves anymore, but live for, live for the one that died for us, to show that gratitude and not to let sin reign over our bodies and not to go back to sin like we talked about with regard to that woman that went to the, 
the, you know, the, the rapist and so forth in the illustration. We're supposed to be like Jesus, man. And Jesus came to seek and to save, the Bible says, that which was lost. And the Bible says that we are his ambassadors as Christians. And the Bible says we're no longer supposed to live to ourselves and we're to esteem others as higher than ourselves and we're to have this mind in us that was also in Christ Jesus, who although exists in the very form of God, didn't, he, it, it didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. He could have just remained God in heaven and not become a man. But as God, he became a man and united humanity with his deity as the God-man. He says he humbled himself uh, to the point of death and it says even the death on the cross, the worst kind of death you could possibly suffer, to save us. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be like Lifeboat 14 and risk our lives to see other people saved. We're supposed to be openly like Jesus and humble ourselves and reach out and seek to save the lost. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul says a trustworthy saying in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, that Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of which I'm the worst. And then Paul said if he saved me as the worst, he did so, he says, because he wanted others to know that they too could be saved. If he could save the chief sinners, which he did, Obviously, he'd save whoever would come to him. Because Paul goes on to say that he doesn't will that any would perish. Or he goes on to say that God wills that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And he gave himself a ransom for not some, but for all. That's in 1 Timothy 2.4 and 2.6 and 2.5. Right in the middle of those two verses, last verse I quote, it says, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But the scriptures tell us in the book of Jude to save some, having mercy you know, on them and hating the garment polluted by the flesh and save some, snatching them out of the fire. So the wicked are in the fire, man. They haven't entered into it eternally yet. We have a fleeting opportunity to reach as many people as possible. I want to encourage you to make your life all about mission. Make your life about a mission for Jesus. Man, I'll tell you what, man, you know, uh, if, you're, if you've got children and you want to make sure they know Jesus and grow up in the faith, go witnessing. Take them on mission trips. Show them what it means to share the gospel with people. I've got children and now a bunch of grandchildren, and my children all love Jesus, but you know, one of the things that impacted them the most was getting them involved in the street witnessing, sharing the gospel with me, whether it was going to Sunset and Highland and Hollywood or going to, uh, in Santa Monica, going to Third Street Promenade, sharing the gospel with them here in C where I live in Simi Valley, California, sharing the gospel with them there, and watching them seeing and seeing what really life really mattered, what really mattered in life was getting people saved, man, knowing the Lord and making him known. So I really want to encourage you in that, man, is make sure you're like Lifeboat 14 and you take some risk to see people saved. Because I'll tell you what, man, I'd much rather die on the mission field, much rather die witnessing and sharing the gospel than die of just, you know, just, you know, living for myself. Because one, living for Christ is the key, guys. That's where the true joy is. And notice that those folks who live for Jesus and aren't on the sidelines complaining about everybody else, but are actually doing the work of the gospel, seeking to bring people to Christ, seeking to strengthen their brothers and sisters in Christ, loving one another, and, and even you know trying to reach out to the lost that are caught up in all these sins, and they're caught up in the waves, have mercy on them. Yeah, yeah, they're lost. They don't know Jesus, but they need Jesus. We were lost. We need to remember that we were lost before we were found, and thank God somebody reached out to us, amen? Reach out to these lost folks. Reach out to them in the name of Jesus. Uh, one other person I want to say to be like is not just be like the lifeboat, which isn't a person, but there were persons like Lowe and those others on the boat, uh, Lowe himself risking his life, but is a man by the name of John Harper. See, John Harper was going from Glasgow, Scotland, and he was on the Titanic, and he was going to Moody Bible Church to speak, a pastor. Uh, when we were working on our documentary on the Titanic, we visited his church in Scotland. What a remarkable man, because he was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Titanic was sinking. And even when he was in the water, he was on, in the water 
just before drowning, he was clinging to a board and he was preaching the gospel to people, sharing with them. He was preaching, he was sharing Acts chapter 16, verse 31. And he was quoting the verse, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So he shouted to people, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved as they're holding on to debris and they're going to drown themselves. And many of them were drowning at that time. And he's crying out to them. It's interesting, we got to visit that, that church and do some interviews there, uh, which were, is, is really wonderful uh, because that church keeps this pastor in memory all these years later because there was a gentleman that sur- uh, survived the Titanic. And guess what? I, I love this. He says, I'm, this, I'm, I'm a survivor of the Titanic. Uh, when I was, and they talk about this when I did my interview with, the, with some of the people in the, or with, what, with somebody representing that church. Uh, I'm a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on a spar that awful night, the tide brought John, Mr. John Harper of Glasgow also on a piece of wreck near me. Uh, Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I'm not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. Uh, The waves bore him away, but strange to say, brought him back a little later. And he said, are you saved now? No, I said, I'm not. He said, I cannot honestly say that I am. He said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And shortly after, he went down and there alone in the night and with two miles of water underneath me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. That's just so beautiful, man. And uh, he was so grateful to John Harper. People will be grateful to you if you reach out to them and you share the gospel with them, you know. And uh, let's be like John Harper, amen. Let's share the gospel with people. He could have just been thinking, man, I'm drowning, you know. I'm drowning. Uh, but uh, And we even he even gave his life vest to somebody else, guys, okay, to another person. That's the kind of love that God wants us to have, the love of Christ. He wants us to live for Jesus. He wants us to be a blessing to others. He wants to use you to his glory. And guess what? If John Harper could be on a little piece of wood, you know, preaching the gospel out in the Atlantic, what excuse do we have not to preach the gospel? We have all kinds of lost people all around us. Make your life count. Make your life count. I just did like three funerals within about a seven or eight day span of three different people, including my beloved wife, Lisa's dad, who had, had died. And what opportunity that was to preach the gospel to, to uh, uh, you know, buildings full of, of people with a living illustration of what, you know, what happens. You die. You have all kinds of living illustrations around you. Use them to preach the gospel. Jesus used illustrations over and over again. Pray for our video that we're going to hopefully complete before too long on the Titanic because what I'm giving you here is just a little picture of the bigger picture. But I want to say praise the Lord for you guys. He loves you so much. He, he gave himself for you. And again, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, come to know him. Because if you're only born once, as I said, you'll die twice. Once physically and then the second death in the lake of fire. But if you're born again, if you say, you know what, I've been born physically, but I want to be reborn. I want to be born spiritually because you're separated from God. The Bible says your sins separate you from God. If you recognize and you admit that you're a sinner, the Bible says he that says he's without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. If you admit that you're a sinner and you embrace Jesus Christ who died for you, who loved you, wanted you to hear this message, you'll have eternal life. If you've turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saying, you know what, I want Jesus. You can do that right now. He died for you. He died for you personally. He's allowing you to see this message so you can embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says now is the acceptable time. Don't wait till tomorrow. 
Bow your heart before the Lord and say, God, have mercy on me. Because you know what? You don't get saved by doing a bunch of good things. You you get saved by admitting that you need to be saved and that only Jesus could save you. You put your faith in what he did for you and paying for all your sins on the cross. And when you put your faith in him, the Bible says you'll pass from death to life. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon him now. If you're embracing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're turning to Jesus Christ right now, or you've come out of a backslidden state, you're saying, man, I'm getting right with Jesus. I need to get right. I'm inspired by this by, by this reality of you know what Jesus did for me and the Titanic as a, as, as a, a object lesson. Leave comments below and encourage other people and just say, just thank God for your salvation. Uh, and I just want to encourage you that he loves you. If you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to, to find a very solid biblical fellowship uh, where they're truly following Jesus, they're truly following the Word of God, where they preach the whole counsel of God, where they preach repentance, they preach the love of God, they preach Jesus Christ as God who became man, as a God-man gave himself for us and rose again. Uh, and, and be prayerful and be wise because there's a lot of junk out there. But praise God, if you've happed upon this channel and you've just clicked this thing, you're like, wow, I really like this. We have so much content that's just filled with God's truth to encourage you and help you uh, to walk in the way of righteousness and continue to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you haven't turned to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I believe I've sinned. I know I've sinned. But I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place. And I turn from my life of rebellion against you, Lord. And I embrace you, Jesus Christ, now, today as my Lord and Savior. I put my faith in you. And I thank you that I'm no longer on the Titanic, but that I'm on the ark. I'm in Christ through faith in him. And I will not face a second death because Jesus took the punishment that I deserve in my place. But I'll now live to show a life of gratitude and praise and thanksgiving, rescuing other people in the fire, from the fire, even as he rescued me. Love you guys so much, man. Praise God for you. God bless you guys. And have a beautiful, beautiful weekend in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you guys. Until next time. You've been listening to The Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel and host Chad Davidson discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how they relate to family, culture, and the church. To learn more about Good Fight Ministries, visit us online at goodfight.org. Join our growing social media family and consider partnering with us at patreon.com slash goodfight.